0: Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name's Melvin, and let's get started with Phase 1. Phase 1. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a Christian podcast service that seeks to encourage and equip Christians to engage and reform the culture of cinema. In this episode, I'm joined by Caleb Young, better known as Father Polymath, of the Polymath Roundtable, and the two of us will be discussing Jon Favreau's highly popularized and genre-defining film, Iron Man. We here at Cinematic Doctrine are happy to kick off a series of reviews on Phase 1 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. From Iron Man to The Avengers, we'll be looking at each film and discussing them one by one. And along the way, we've decided to bring on a few guests from other Christian podcasts, starting with Caleb Young. Caleb hosts the popular Polymath Roundtable, a Christian podcast that produces bite-sized reviews and topical discussions on all sorts of media. Some episodes he is talking about movies, others he's discussing books, and at times he's looking at video games. It's well-rounded and often balanced pursuit makes for easy listening on your daily drive for when you need some good Christian thoughts on all kinds of topics. And so, Cinematic Doctrine offering a larger format than bite-sized 20-minute episodes, Caleb and I had a lot of time to really dig into Iron Man. From the start, we discussed what it was like to revisit this modern classic in the comic book film canon as well as discuss a few issues we have with the film, including, but not limited to, some surprisingly sensual sequences. We also discuss the Stark themes of legacy and responsibility from the perspective of Tony Stark's struggle with arrogance. And finally, we close out with an introspective discussion on what it means to be a film critic, as we weigh the value of Iron Man, both culturally and morally. Now, for those who live under a rock like Patrick Starr and need a quick rundown on what Iron Man is all about, don't worry. I've got you covered. Here's a quick synopsis. Tony Stark, owner and namesake of Stark Industries, has been abducted by terrorists. Using the same weapons he manufactures, Tony witnesses the death of many at the hands of his creation. Filled with grief and determination, he begins to build a supersuit to escape his captors. If he succeeds, he hopes to step away from his legacy as accidental under-the-table arms dealer and do whatever it takes to make those responsible pay. Someone in his company isn't to be trusted. Someone needs to go. And Tony's going to find out who, by any means necessary, even if it means donning a suit of iron. Or whatever the heck metal it really is. Iron Man is rated PG-13 for some intense sequences of sci-fi action and violence, and brief suggestive content. The intense sequences of sci-fi action and violence start with guerrilla-style warfare in the Middle East, visuals of non-graphic terrorist videos, Gun violence, people lit on fire, just a whole lot of violence. It's all PG-13 and more exciting than harrowing, but it's still a lot of violence. The brief suggestive content is the real surprise here. For those who have grown up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's surprising the level of sensual content and inappropriate humor is in this film. Disney really went ahead and did away with a lot of the inappropriate humor. That's not only in Iron Man, but even in some of the later films in the MCU which we'll talk about some other episode. But this film not only has lines of dialogue about whether or not Tony Stark has gone 12 for 12 with the cover girls for Maxim, but also a joke involving a man accidentally sleeping with a transvestite. It's like a lot of stuff I had no memory of, and I think most people will be quite surprised by this sort of humor in a film that like is isn't targeted for kids but is kind of considered accessible for kids. And that's without mentioning some of the more sensual visuals in the film. A brief scene of Tony Stark with a woman comically embracing one another in bed that has no nudity, but is still crazy. A woman waking up in bed with her bare back visible and blankets conveniently covering her, and there's a gag on an airplane involving dancers. It's absolutely amazing what pre-Disney Marvel gets away with. But I digress. All this to say, this movie is on Disney+, and just because it's on a family streaming site doesn't mean it's necessarily a family movie. Now, before we head into our discussion on Iron Man, I wanted to share real quick that if you've come to enjoy Cinematic Doctrine, consider leaving a review for the podcast on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down, so the best way to leave your thoughts on the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you listen. Apart from that, Cinematic Doctrine also has a Patreon. For those who don't know, Patreon is a website for independent content creators to raise support for their work. By creating an account on Patreon, you can select a content creator you like and support them with a monthly donation. If you enjoy Cinematic Doctrine and would like to support the show, consider donating, as it helps cover the cost of producing the podcast. And as a bonus, if you support Cinematic Doctrine for as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a -a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss or review on the podcast. You also gain access to the SynDoc pre-show, the upcoming Patreon-exclusive podcast series where my co-host Daniel and I casually talk movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check them out at patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine. And of course, you can listen to Caleb Young's wonderful podcast, The Polymath Roundtable, on your favorite podcast app. Listen to Father Polymath as he talks all kinds of media, from movies, books, and video games through a Christian lens, and really gets down to the brass tacks of what you're engaging all in a bite sized runtime. Without further ado, here's our thoughts on Iron Man. Caleb, Father Polymath.
1: Wow, you're on my podcast. This is crazy. What's going on? Not much. I, I'm looking forward to the discussion here today. <laughs> it's an interesting deal for me being on someone else's podcast uh, here. I'm, I'm either see what happens.
0: Is this your first time on somebody else's podcast?
1: I mean, the first time since I started doing my own podcast, I've done a few other things in the past. But yeah, this is this is the first big interview. And wow, what a big interview it is. <laughs> that's
0: that's actually really cool i'm so glad to like man that's so cool i'll make sure it's a good one then hopefully it's a good one i guess you'll be uh, it's a mutual thing it's not so bad that you never do it again like it's just like you have a traumatic experience you're like i could never be on another podcast because it's just gonna be terrible so hopefully we take it easy and It's a nice good time.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I suppose I could uh, offer some pre recorded remarks. Oh, <laughs> you know, just it, you know, put in my sound bite.
0: Oh, my goodness, that'd be amazing! Well, well, all right. So, everybody, you just heard that he's got a podcast. So, Caleb, tell us about your podcast.
1: Well, my name is Caleb Beyond. I run the Father, well, I, I am Father Polymath, and I run the Polymath Roundtable. Uh, it is a Semi-weekly, sometimes more often, sometimes less often, depends on the week. Uh, Podcast talking about media from a Christian perspective. Uh it's fairly short, say twenty to thirty minutes, something you can uh, listen to on your lunch break or your uh, commute. And our goal is just help you look at media and break it down. Not you know not getting into these deep dives, but rather here. You know, you've never heard that media. You've never read that book or watched that movie. Here, here's the, the nuggets you need to know, the things you need to watch out for, and here's some discussion thoughts to help you dive deeper. What is the message underlying that film? What is the message that they want you to get, but they're not telling you? And, yeah, it's available pretty much everywhere podcasts are available or on my own website at polymathroundtable.com. I had to think about that. <laughs> or on Facebook as the Polymath Roundtable. Yeah, something I've really enjoyed about your
0: podcast is that you cover all different kinds of media. I'll be scrolling through your feed, and I'll be like, well, that's a movie. Oh, is that a book? Oh, man, they're talking about Minecraft now. This is great. And and of course, being a movie guy myself, I had to go check out like your shows and movie reviews, and I really enjoyed I enjoyed your thoughts on Sonic, and I really enjoyed your thoughts on The Witcher, which was, uh, for me, I, I hadn't checked out. I I knew about some content and I also knew like the, the franchise itself had some abrasive and offensive content, but I also know like sometimes the the general vibe or feel of the show can either be not nearly as abrasive as people might say or have something worthwhile. And then I listened to your episode and I was like, yeah, this is this is a show I'm just going to I'm just going to skip this one. And I was really thankful for that cuz like I mean, I'm on Netflix pretty often and I'm like, what am I going to watch tonight or what show am I going to dig into? And so it was really nice to hear that like you were just like, "Hey, I watched this. I I got pretty far in and I just just wasn't vibing. It just wasn't good and I really don't think anyone should see this, really."
1: <laughs> Sometimes it's the obvious. I mean, if anybody had any experience with the Witcher franchise, it was obvious that there was going to be at least some sets and other content issues. Sometimes it's not obvious. In early April, I don't know when this uh, interview is going live. In early April, I did a review of Onward, the new Pixar film. There was a lot of, you know, discussion and disagreement about a LGBT. Uh, representation in the film and that was what a lot of people were angry about. My I- issue with it was completely different. I mean, it turned out that that one issue was like literally a line and a half of 10 seconds. But if you look at the greater picture issues, there's a whole lot more going, going on that people are just completely forgetting. And that's why I want to, you know, help people, you know, we may not discuss the full theological implications of something but I can help you – if I can help you think, say, okay, look at this. They, they show you the film, but what is the, you know, the the nice little curves around the outside that distract you from their core message?
0: Yeah, and I I definitely recommend people go check out his his reviews. But yeah, it's it's good stuff. I've been really enjoying it, and uh, I'm really glad to have you here to talk about Iron Man. Which let me tell you, I'm already a few movies in just because like I, I you know you get ahead of work, and I had never seen the Incredible Hulk, and my goodness, oh. I, I regret watching the Incredible Hulk now at this point. But more on that in the next episode.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I loved the episode, and not not episode the the movie. I loved it. I thought that. I and mean, it was one of the better early uh, Marvel movies.
0: Matt, wow. I mean, I didn't schedule to have you on for that, but that would have been a good episode now that I think about it. But <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll find our thoughts very interesting then When whenever me and Daniel get around to recording that one. But here we are, Iron Man, the one that started it all. Let's go back to 2008. Oh. My goodness, wasn't that crazy? I mean, I don't know about you, but this is the first time I've watched Iron Man probably in a decade. I mean, I watched it a lot when it first came out. I think I saw it a few times in theaters. I distinctly remember my school just for like, we couldn't go on a field trip or something. And so then they were just like, well, since it's going to rain out, we'll just have the, like everybody watch Iron Man for some reason. So it was just like Iron Man was a big deal. What, what was your experience with Iron Man back in the old days of 2008?
1: Oh I I think I first saw it on an airplane flying over the Atlantic if I remember correctly. I uh, I was on a trip with my family and you know it was it was almost a a life-changing experience because I had spent a lot of my childhood reading my mom's comics. My mom actually collected Marvel and DC comics when she was a kid. So I was reading all the old comics. I was watching the animated cartoons and things like that and seeing iron man on the screen for the first time is amazing i mean it had issues i I, there's a lot of issues with it but that experience of seeing iron man for the first time to see him armor up and become the hero especially for me because i love technology so much and, and the whole visual aspect of iron man's armor or Yeah, for another movie, Transformers. I love the robots, but oh man, there's so much nostalgia there. Between that and Iron Man 2, which came out a few years later, I think I probably saw those two in the theater probably ten times. Thank goodness for a discount theater. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah,
0: especially uh, when you think about ticket prices nowadays, it's like back in the day when like, man, I think ticket prices were less than $10 in my area. And now they're like can be up to 13. But that's what AMC Stubbs A-List is for as long as AMC survives this COVID uh, situation. Two bucks, 50.
1: Yeah. Oh, my really? Discount Theater. Uh, And it was a like third run theater. I was taking a class in uh, in the same city, and the park and ride was next door to that discount theater. So, wow, yeah, go to go to class, come back. Hey, it's two bucks fifty. I'll go see Iron Man two again. <laughs>
0: That's, uh, I'm like jealous now. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds great. Oh man, but yeah, it's it's crazy coming back to this one. It almost basically felt like a a first time watching the movie i had vague memories of seeing like certain scenes uh even just describing it as like it was like a vague memory that you know you know how it ends you remember how the memory went but like you don't remember the specifics i don't remember particular jokes i don't remember even particular characterizations and and i have to say like iron man one has some really strong and well-defined characters even if like the cast isn't very big i mean it's really just robert downey jr jeff bridges uh who honestly i wish that he was he was in the mcu much longer than he is and then even gwyneth gwyneth paltrow or as i reminded my wife during this rewatch of the movie the woman who started goop yes we, we do not talk about goop <laughs> yeah just just never watch the netflix series for for the love of all that's holy please do not watch the netflix series i'm making a joke but also being very serious just read articles about it because Goop is just like a scam. Anyways, but,
1: but this is not a Goop episode. This is an Iron Man episode. And not just that. It's where Robert Downey Jr. became uh, became the legend that he is today. Yeah. Like, this was a revival of his career. And, and
0: like he, he is so perfectly casted. And you see it from the beginning.
1: In a lot of ways, I, I thought RDJ was a... Dark horse candidate. That when you look at the greater history, he really has. He he in a lot of ways he is the Iron Man story, but between his drug addictions and his troubles in the nineties and early two thousands, to becoming the family friendly favorite that he they became between Iron Man and Sherlock Holmes and uh, Doctor Doolittle. Yeah, between the, the all the different roles he. He became Iron Man in his own life as well as on the screen.
0: Yeah, which is really interesting, especially when, um, dear listener, as you continue to listen. Oh, I'm sorry, Logan Sharp. I'm using your term. Go listen to the Reformed Gamers if you want to hear about, dear listeners. Fellow listener, as you listen further, we're we're obviously going to, I mean, no doubt, we're going to dig into even the redemption nature of Iron Man, even if it is rather light. And we have some very interesting thoughts on that. But. It is so interesting going from Iron Man and even th- thinking about retroactively to now how how far Robert Downey Jr has even come through his career through his successes through the ways that the Lord has uh, provided for him because remember whether you're Christian or not Christian the rain is going to fall on you like that's the Lord will provide for all of the earth through his common grace and it's a very unique way in his in the way of his people but the Lord provides for all people and thinking about how he's gone from yeah, like you said, his personal vices that he struggled with in real life to now. It's, it's impressive. And, it, and it's something I think when we, when we really dig into Iron Man as the story of a character who comes from foolishness to wisdom. It, it's very interesting. Of course, he's not the wisest. We've all seen the MCU. We know that Tony Stark is not the wisest or tool in the shed, so to speak. He's more of a tool. Then he is a wise tool, but, but anyways, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. And, and, and even I was thinking about how 2008 and this, the just talking more um, visually speaking, the CGI uh, is really impressive. I mean, they do a good balance of practical effects because I'm pretty sure some of the suits were real. And then when they realized that Robert Downey Jr. could not move that way in the suit, they would use CGI to do certain animation gimmicks. And that, that was really impressive.
1: Well, I, there's a, Midst of it, I and mean, oftentimes you'll use what's uh, called hero props, which are actual metal, you know, actual you know suits, things like that. But they're often used for uh set pieces where you're not fighting, you're not moving around. It is there for with the close ups because, as good as CGI is, and as, and as good as it was back then, you cannot fully replicate the the feel of armor or of, of a sword for example yeah in a close-up you have to use a real prop because it just doesn't feel the same and I, I gotta say the cgi really does hold up very well it's not quite as dramatic a look as say jurassic park where everything you're you're, you're still just as terrified feeling a t-rex chasing your jeep it's not quite as dramatic as of a change in general cgi but everything is just so beautiful the the mechanized arms the armor i i there's a few quibbles with like the repulsor beams it's you can almost see it being drawn on by an animator in the post <laughs> yes yes i, I love the chat i i love the hologram so good jarvis is jarvis is my best friend in my head
0: <laughs> yes jarvis is so good oh man and without even, because it's funny, now that we're going back through the MCU, it's almost like we don't want to spoil later movies, but it's really cool even thinking about, we're talking about Tony, but even how Jarvis is used throughout the franchise is really impressive, especially as somebody who, who hadn't been all that invested in the Marvel comics. I, I, I'm i much more of a, uh, I, I enjoy a broad way, of, a broad amount of comics and I only really started to do that in the last, I would say, three years. And when you think about the fact that we've had Marvel movies for over ten, there's a lot that I was missing out on when when the name Jarvis is even used and stuff like that.
1: Well, I mean, when you think that the Marvel Comics universe has been around for you know sixty something years or yeah. longer, yeah, I and mean, all of a sudden you're starting three years ago, <laughs> it, you start getting intimidated with the backlog. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And and I wonder if that's probably what people feel like now, if they have not grown up on the Marvel movies. Like they look back and they go, I don't want to watch 24 movies. Like that's a lot of work. You almost have to be goaded into it with like a friend who's inviting you over and saying like, look, COVID-19 is happening. We're going to haul up in quarantine and I'm going to show you every Marvel movie. You're going to eat so much popcorn and you're going to love it. But like, if you don't have that, like what's your incentive to watch 23 movies? I Which is funny that I say that, but like as somebody who just will watch all movies all the time, there's something funny about the fact that if it's a series, it's more intimidating, but passively, I just watch like 20 movies a month anyway. Well, I think <laughs> like,
1: uh, one of the key points here is not to look at as a 24 movie universe. it's It's not a series. it They all happen in the same universe, and they're all tied together but they are very distinctly different series. I mean, Black Panther uh, is a very different series from Iron Man series. I mean, even Captain America, they, they're very different series. And sometimes they overlap, sometimes they're in the same instance, but they are not one monolithic series that you have to work your way through. I I would, I would in fact argue that Iron Man is a movie that in of itself is not a standalone movie because it's really the first arc to the, the Iron Man trilogy that you, you don't get the full story from just one, uh, this one movie It's it's a progression over those three movies.
0: Yeah. that come to think of it, it. It really is. Cause it's a, it's a continuation of his struggle in the legacy. Another thing we're very excited to get into, but there are, As we have briefly mentioned, I think we mentioned it once or twice, that there are also some things that don't work in Iron Man. Some things that almost, I would even argue, are problematic, but I'll dig into that in a second. And I, for me, the things that really don't work out so well without, like, spoiling Iron Man or even anything beyond Iron Man, I can see problems within this film that will plague, almost plague the franchise for at least one or two phases i don't know if they plague the franchise too much into phase three but in phase one and two i feel like these things are pretty paramount there's there's something that i would call tonal confusion there's a for the lack of better term boring soundtracks and dull visuals but interestingly enough again they're only really present in phase one and phase two well
1: i i gotta disagree with you there ian is the tonal confusion is something that has played them right the way through. I'm not going to spoil later movies and I'll know how many you've seen personally. I've seen basically all of them, but they have a problem with letting a moment stand in its own power. Hmm. They feel the need to fill every moment with talking. And there, there's a, there's a lot to be said for the power of a good narration. Heaven knows and if you've ever gone to one of the great uh, national parks or national monuments where they have the you know the thrilling music background, the you know deep voiced guy talking about the history of America, I mean it's powerful. But sometimes, sometimes you gotta let the visual, the the power of the moment stand on its own. And they have, they have this problem where they put in jokes. To fill to fill a gap to make people laugh, but it ruins the the, the flow. I mean it's not as uh, obvious in this film, but especially in later films like Doctor Strange, watch it and watch where they put the joke you know, the laugh lines and and just compare how the, the scene flowed before and after and whether it would have been better as you know one scene without that. Now hold uh, your horses. We're going to have a laugh line here.
0: <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. It's their favorite moment.
1: <laughs> no. There, there's a moment in Captain America where, uh, no, not Captain America, Captain America 2, uh, where a soldier, I believe, if I'm, if I'm remembering my timelines correctly, where uh, Cap visits the Smithsonian and you see a certain movie exhibit that is overlaid with this dramatic monologue of narration which calls back to previous movies and I saw this amazing sequence which <laughs> I'm getting ahead to the, the soundtrack <laughs> but it goes back to the but it's tied in with the tonal confusion where they, they filled this, this dialogue in but if they had let the music stand alone it was so much more powerful you didn't need talking you could let it let the music ride and, and that's the confusion where they can't decide whether to whether to let the the visual speak or whether they they want to fill every idle moment with a laugh line or a joke or exposition because we have you know Keep things going, right?
0: Yeah, it's almost like a locomotive where the machine just needs to keep moving to get us to the destination. When in reality, some rides on a train can just be serene and beautiful and there's not a lot of noise and you're just kind of enjoying what's going on. And I actually love that you brought that scene up because I remember a couple of years ago, I remember watching this video on YouTube, which I went out to find out what it was. Um, and it was a, t- the title of this YouTube video is called The Marvel Symphonic Universe. And it is by a YouTuber named Every Frame of Painting. It is a fascinating, fascinating video to watch because what it basically does is Every Frame of Painting's perspective when he's trying to make this video is like, what, is the th- what are the theme songs of a Marvel movie? And in the very beginning, what he does is he just asks random people can you sing a song from James Bond and they sing a song from James Bond? Can you sing a song from Star Wars and they can sing a song from Star Wars? Can you sing a song from Harry Potter and they can do it. But then when he asks, can you sing a song from Marvel? Everybody stops. No nobody can sing a song from a Marvel song. Now, mind you, this video was made I think just after Age of Ultron. So this is we're we're over 5 years of Marvel movies and nobody could sing one. And what they were what the guy realized when he did this is that Marvel music does not invest in creative or influential music, and nobody can really know why apart from just the assumption that it might be cheaper or that it's simply more efficient in getting the emotion that you want moving on, and not necessarily the emotion that lingers or stays or is memorable, just the one you want and the one that moves on.
1: I don't know if it's a question of investment uh, so much as a fear of investment.
0: Ooh, that's really interesting. I'm really interested to hear what you
1: mean <laughs> uh, it's not it's not a matter of, of of finances of I mean look at Marvel and Disney. It's not about the money yeah, that's true. It's about the the fact that you can't entrust the moment to someone sight unseen, uh, which I think is a paramount issue with Disney is the fact that they have to have their hands in every single little pie they can't let the studio produce their film. I mean, I remember a few years ago, well, I say this a few years ago, it's not that long ago, it was maybe this year. I was watching <laughs> the Lord of the Rings expanded edition behind the scenes footage. And they were talking about how they went about uh, you know, storing Lord of the Rings, one of the most ambitious epic trilogies, I, was, I would argue of all time. And the thing is, they they went in, blank there was no uh, you know no hold music no hey here's how i want this sound they sat down with the composer and said okay here's here's some footage here's the characters the feel create us something and howard shore well, and he wrote a theme a, a standalone theme for every single little piece of this i mean you've got the hobbits the hobbiton theme uh you've got you know gondor you've got rohan and every single element has its own feel and sound and creation and it's i would argue that howard that that soundtrack uh for those three movies by howard shore is hands down one of the greatest musical compositions of this last century Uh, and since the death of uh the uh classical uh you know composers of beethoven and so forth that john williams has these great moments of you everybody knows the uh, the emperor's march but john williams has a lot of blank uh, blank spots in his creations howard shore created this massive overarching epic because they found a composer and they entrusted every single moment into his hand they they let go of that control
0: yeah and then you go to like the the marvel franchise the entire mcu And you see different composers, but the music largely isn't the same. Now, again, I would argue this is mostly Phase 1 and Phase 2. I can marginally think of songs that are in Phase 3. Black Panther's soundtrack has a very distinct feel and sound. Unfortunately, I can't remember any melodies, and maybe that's part of the problem too. But when I hear Black Panther music, especially when there are scenes in the movies, and you most notably get this in Infinity War, Um, There's an introduction where a character says, I know where to go and music starts playing and you start to go, they're going to go to Wakanda and you get this transition to Wakanda and you knew it was going to happen because of the distinct music. And that's something that when we come back to Iron Man. And even the first few phases you just do not have there is no iron man theme and because of this there is a fault where in the future of the franchise there is no theme that is unique to him that changes based on his emotional state based on how he transitions through just as a character imagine if you had an an emotional uh, symphony or track or melody that started in iron man and then you go all the way to civil war And you have Iron Man is now fighting against Captain America. And you have these different melodies that are clashing and going together. And then you have just the art of this coming together that is so much more, I don't know, I would say nuanced, creative, daring risk. In fact, I think you're absolutely right. That is, It is a matter of risk and a lack thereof as opposed to money because what am I saying? Disney has all the money that they can afford. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think tonal confusion does fit along alongside with the boring uh, OST. And I also think dull visuals too. Now, Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk were both shot on film and every other film afterward is shot digitally. Now, if most people don't most people don't really understand the difference. Film is almost capturing the image onto something and so the colors are going to be much more vibrant, they're going to be much more realistic whereas digital is the lens now taking in those colors in the light and translating it into something. And that translation, just like language, can be lost. And so that's why a lot of digital films can look a bit duller, a bit flatter, less vibrant. It doesn't mean they're worse films. It just means there is a loss in a particular fidelity. Think of it like recording your song on vinyl as opposed to recording your song digitally. Most, I think, audio files will be... Will understand that, but also, it's it. Sometimes it's so inconsequential, especially if you have a good cinematographer at at the helm, that you wouldn't even notice.
1: Well, and if, for for an analogy that uh, might other people might get a little easier, think of the uh, the difference between looking at the moon with your eyes and then taking a picture on your phone.
0: Oh my goodness! Spot on. <laughs>
1: You know, it, it, when you look up at the moon, it's huge, and you can see the craters and uh, the shadows, and you're like, "Wow, that's beautiful." You pull out your phone, it's like, "Oh, look, somebody hung a white marble in the sky." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 literally like that. I, it's absolutely true, and and it doesn't help that a lot of Iron Man is shot reverse shot, which means that. The angles are really just over each other's shoulder. There's no like wide shots. There's no stylistic nature to it. I think the most stylistic it gets is there's a scene when Iron, when, when Iron Man, when Tony Stark gets like confused or dazed. And so you get this, um, there is a Dutch angle that is shot so that it looks dazed and confused, just like Tony Stark. But then other than that, it's mostly static angles. There's not a lot going on. I would even say like the most, daring it gets with its cinematography is when everything's animated and you have just people fighting each other but
1: i would actually uh, uh, throw a, throw a fit because they they started setting the tone here which is a per- perennial problem of fight scenes that are quit shots and uh shaky cam i oh yes i hate shaky <laughs> cam with a deep and abiding passion and, and that, that was something which i really loved from the witcher i which I, I i wish was used more often long cuts where a fight scene was not turn blast you know, camera shift turn blast yeah. but it was like yeah you know, a, a flowing sword fight scene uh, that transition you could see the steps between and the you know the strikes and it was like okay this is actually happening not Here's a image of Iron Man blasting String. Now Iron Man punches somebody. You, you, you get lost and you lose the, the spatial reference for all this going on. There's also impact
0: that's lost. I mean, there's a lot of impact that like when you see somebody get punched and it's a quick cut. So it's only really a point five second shot. You don't get to see or feel the fact that that person just got punched. That's like, that's why watching John Wick films can be so stressful is because you're, you're watching all these people get the crap beat out of each other and it's just raw and you see it because the choreo, first off, because the choreography is great, but then also because the cinematographer decided, I'm just going to let the camera roll. I'm going to make sure that you see everything.
1: It is a very definite stylistic choice that is very, very difficult and is extremely brutal on both the tech side and on the actors to pull off these long cuts but in the end if done properly it has so much impact i mean did you see 1917
0: i did i did see 1917
1: there there's a lot of memes going around talking about how oh Uh, The reason it took so long to produce is because the director made them start over at the beginning every single time that somebody messed up. (laughs) Day four hundred and twenty-seven, Benedict Cumberbatch almost gets on camera. He's still waiting with his tea and biscuits. (laughs) That that movie has so much emotional impact because there was very few of of these jump cut back and forth, um, you know, montages. And the problem is that short jump cuts are are really good for animation they it means that rather than having to work with a you know 45 second long clip you're working with half a second or or two seconds and there's a time and place for it but sometimes it's well most of the time is overused same with shaky cam It, it was used very great in the opening of the film with the cave sequence right yes that shaky cam with the disorientation and pain of being knocked out but then you know later on the film you're like i I, i'm pretty sure something just happened but it was too rough for me to see what happened
0: yeah yeah and it's like it's not even the equivalent of like there's there's some scenes that can just be a good handheld camera scene and usually the best i think almost the best handheld camera scenes are people walking and talking but like when you do a handheld, when people are fighting, it, it's very disorienting. And if your intent is not to disorient. So like, for instance, if, if a scene were were cast where two people are in a room and you're not expecting them to get into a fight and then immediately they get into a fight, that's disorienting. And so the camera can be shaky for a bit. But then at some point, something's got to stabilize because now this is the new norm. The fight in this room is now the new norm. So stabilize and let us... Come to be comfortable with the new norm, now, maybe you're not trying to do that, and also directors just do what they want, like this is their vision. Some people would argue directors don't have vision, but the director does have to have some functioning vision to make decisions and if they just choose not to do it, that's just how it is
1: right in a lot of ways, I think the shaky cam ties back into the the dull soundtrack and complaint that we were talking about that if you do these long cuts. You do not have as much control over exactly when does that blast hit? When does this happen? Snap! 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 Yeah, you, you have no control over that. You you have to d- deal with okay. He's going to take five steps, and it takes that long for him to go, and then he raises his arm and blasts, rather than cut cut to him swiveling and firing his arm. <laughs> and it, it's almost like it's almost like somebody it took the the long cuts out and introduced the, the jump cuts as a temp hold while they worked on longer cuts. Yeah. And like temp music.
0: Well, well, I think this, this was something really interesting and I didn't even write this in my notes. So we're just, we're just going off now. We're going on an adventure. Something really interesting about things like temp, temp music, which let's define temp music before I continue. Temp music is basically during the, the creative process as the director is putting things together and editing the film. So he has all his scenes. Now he's going to put scenes together and he wants to help his composer figure out what they might want. So the director puts another song from maybe another movie or even just a classical piece or even just like pop music and will put it and overlay the scene. Then they'll have the composer come in and see it and the director can say, I want something that feels like this. And at the worst times, the director might even just say, I want exactly that. And there's even a particular case that in the every frame of painting video that is emphasized where Warner Brothers for the for the film 300 just like play. There was a song that was just plagiarized and it was one of the first times where a studio really just said like, yeah, we we made a mistake. (laughs) And it's just like and, and that should already give you a bit queasiness because you're like, well, why didn't why are they just copying like if they're creating something? of course you're imitating like everything pulls draws from other things. Roger Deakins is out here making some amazing shots and angles and people are like, well, I want to make movies look like his. So yeah, we taking influence. That's very different though, from
1: plagiarizing. I and mean, I, I think the tip music phenomenon has also been, it's almost like a, a, a director said, you know, I, I like what Disney does with their songs so let's pl- uh, plug those into all these other live action films and uh you know we'll make it more relevant by making it so people are singing uh, there, there's music that people recognize
0: yeah and you, and you know what's funny is i distinctly remember after the dark knight came out and you had um, um hans zimmers uh score for that film which was very much like you had the strings going like and then the drum was again after that came out like i distinctly remember tons of action thrillers having music that sounds exactly the same and like if you go to like i feel like when i've watched action thrillers that were pre-dark Knight, like they didn't sound like that at all of course they're probably drawing from something else but even with the idea of like dark Knight inception inception had that right and inception had it too the trailer music is now very blah blah and you're like what's happening my house is shaking (laughs) it's just crazy and
1: and sometimes that's used brilliantly king arthur legend of the sword uh with charlie huston i think his name is or or... oh i forget i don't i don't
0: remember i think i wanted to see it for two reasons because i like fantasy and then i heard it was like a mess but but uh and i'm always curious by that
1: it has a it is a lot of mess and it is it's a very different retaking of uh the King Arthur legend, but they actually used a electronica a you know, modern pop sound rendition of this folk ballad and it was disordinate and jarring and it worked incredibly well.
0: Wow. Well, that's like really impressive.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was really impressive because it, it it was like something that sounded, if you took the words, like something out of the Appalachian Mountains, but then they overlaid this discordant, jarring electronic, you know, backtrack track and crunch on the vocals, and when tied into the sequence, it actually worked, hmm. and it was entirely different. I've never you know seen something like that done in and, and had it work in a film.
0: Very interesting. Now, I think the other thing, too, is even as you're saying, like, that's your, the first time and you're, and you're like, that was very interesting and, and and even memorable, even the fact that you're bringing it up here now. I was thinking about how we talked about tent music. We talked about dull visuals. We talked about all these things that are recurrent in the MCU for at least two phases. You got to always put that part in. And watching Iron Man, we're here critiquing it for that. However, I think if we think about the fact that Iron Man stabilized these things, like Iron Man is the... First film is continuity. Exactly. It's continuity of tone. But that's that's a little questionable because you have different directors, so why not let these directors do things differently? But it's the first film. And so, like, I want to first say, like, on my letterbox, I gave Iron Man an eight out of ten. I think it's a very good movie. I think it's very well made. I think it's very clever. I think it's just a, a fun time. And I need to say that because all we've been doing is dogging on the movie and somewhat dogging on the MCU. But I think there's two reasons for that is one because like, it's, it's just a good movie. I think it just gets that simple. Like it's a, just a I a, I should say a well-made movie. It is a well-made movie. And in that, like we should applaud that. And then also the value of it being like his, it's historical value in the entertainment industry is huge. It's monumental.
1: And before there was really no modern acceptance of, the superhero genre you had a handful of superhero ish movies including from marvel things like the daredevil movie which uh, a, pe- a lot of people try and blank out of their memories started ben affleck
0: <laughs> oh my goodness and colin farrell a bald colin farrell farrell oh my goodness
1: <laughs> uh, or if we want to go even darker into the annals you could pull up elektra ah! <laughs> yes it, it entirely but iron man catwoman here... <laughs> don't forget catwoman <laughs> we're talking marvel here okay we're talking marvel we're pretending <laughs> that uh, we're not talking about the how many rebates of batman are there oh man iron man <laughs> encapsulated what it meant to have a superhero movie you had you know, charismatic leads with dark issues who fought for something greater that that tadline really set the tone for everything that's come after in the terms of a superhero movie. They, you know, it diverges different ways. Sometimes it's, you know, it delves into the really dark and grim like daredevil on their, on Netflix. Sometimes it's really lighthearted, like guardians of the galaxy, <laughs> but it all is all about, you know, the charismatic lead. I mean, cause Hollywood, but the, it's not a, a lead. who's has who's very human, but has some issues who's fighting to do something bigger and better. They may not know what it is yet, but they have that calling of being a hero.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a really good segue, especially for how we're going to talk about this film in regards to legacy, um, in regards to even its depiction of certain content. Um, And, and I think like one, one great thing about revisiting old films and Iron Man, it's not really an old film, but it is definitely a film that I watched when I was a kid is coming at this film now with my newfound maturity. Now I'm only 24 and so I'm not the most mature person. We're in the middle of a quarantine now and I have been staying up late and waking up late. And it's to to some degree, that's not entirely the most mature thing for me to be doing. There is still plenty of things I can do in the morning. But I'm still coming back at it with like just these things that I am attributing to the Lord. I have just grown in my discernment. And as I rewatched this, I was far more in tune with the theme present in the film, that theme being of redemption, at least the attempt at redemption. Now, it's nothing quite as stark haha, or artistically crafted as other redemption stories we've seen in films, such as Shawshank Redemption, which literally has the word in the title, or even the recent Tarantino film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where we watch the individual redemption of one who not only has a failing career, at least he would believe so, but their own view on self. Now in Iron Man, we don't linger on scenes of contemplation, nor do we see these scenes longer than perhaps a brief line or single withering look. However, just because Iron Man doesn't linger on these things doesn't mean it's vapid. It's pretty clear that the dramatic byline of Iron Man is Tony Stark's transition from being an accidental arms dealer and a creator of death machines to repenting of these things he's done. He's also was a playboy, but he doesn't really repent of that. Uh, and when you just kind of, when you look at how he's contributed to these things and he's trying to repay for the evil he he's inadvertently caused, his thought process is, I've lost control of the thing I've created. I live a life of carnal pleasures while people die by the hand of my work. Woe is me. I should do something to amend this.
1: It, it was it, it was explicitly stated towards in the film, where he's like, you know, I've you, uh, he's talking to Pepper. He's like, you've stood by me while I reap the benefit of destruction and death. Are you going to walk away now that I'm trying to protect those I've hurt? You know, what is my legacy? Yeah, and that's
0: big. Yeah, that and and even like one of the one of the cruxes to the drama is that a character says to him don't waste your life and that's a that's like you'd say that to anybody in in the heat of the moment when they are emotionally compromised and you're like oh my goodness have i wasted my life like that's a big deal and and that's great because i admit i didn't really get any of this as a kid well i mean maybe i did and in fact i have vague memories of feeling that emotional expression that this movie is about redemption that this movie is about like repaying the the cost of the 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 pains that someone has done the first time i watched it though i was just watching it because it was really cool like let's just be real here when you're a kid you're watching these big dudes duke it out in metal suits. Like Caleb's over here saying the same thing. Like It was just amazing. And for him, it was like, I got to see Iron Man. For me, it was like, I don't know anything of what's going on. I just like this. But a huge thing about this film is the idea of redemption and also one's legacy. And first off, let's talk about the Lord's timing in my own life, because I just started reading through Ecclesiastes. In fact, I just finished it this morning. And one of the early lamentations of King Solomon is that, like, oh my goodness, it's just like the lamentation of one's legacy. And in Ecclesiastes two seventeen through 19, King Solomon writes, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. And watching Iron Man, we're told very early on that Tony Stark is the son of famed scientist Howard Stark, a pioneer of engineering and technology, and also one of many men who contributed to the construction of the atom bomb, of all things. And we can debate the morality of the atom bomb in another episode far down the line because I'm just not prepared for that. But to get back to our main topic, in other words, Howard Stark toiled under the sun and then Tony comes into the picture, lives like a fool and is just doesn't know what his company is doing. The company that his father has built and is out sleeping with people and is just like drinking on plane rides to a job like this guy prior to the complicated, the drum, the epic complicating incident of the film prior to showing off his new weapon to the military, he's getting drunk on an airplane so he is just a fool now he doesn't stay the fool as we know this film is a redemption arc even this trilogy you can argue is a redemption arc this entire franchise so far has just been a redemption arc but caleb what do you think about iron man as a story of redemption this tale of this fool that is tony stark repenting of his foolishness taking up responsibility for his actions and fighting for a better day
1: i don't really see this as a story of redemption not so much you know as as a standalone movie because this is just the beginning to iron man's arc Mm. because over the next you know three movies of his solo films and then the the rest of the mcu his overweening uh, flaw his his big glaring issue is arrogance he he wants to control to you know, he he is the most important. He's Tony Stark. You know, I am Iron Man. He is arrogant to a fault. And he knows that, yes, I am the best because I'm Tony Stark. I Yes, I am good. But yes, I'm Tony Stark as well. And that's something which will plague him for the rest of the entire MCU till the final close of his final arc. And, and every single moment is tainted with that arrogance. I mean, all everything that he's done in this film is because of his arrogance. You know, why did he build the armor in the cave? Because I mean, he's not going to let anyone push him around, and he you know, he's not going to wait for rescue or anything. He's going to fight his way out. Why does he go back and fight in Afghanistan? again? Because they dared to use my weapons. How dare they do that? I my this is not what my company does. I mean, he talks about you know my company and you know where do we draw the line? And I thought that this was the way I did it essentially. Mm. And, and and why did he even uh, per, uh, fight in the final battle? Because he I and mean, they did that to me. Because Iron Monger, he did it to me, not mm. not because of any sense of justice uh, overarching, but because it's me. That, that arrogance, it sets up the story of redemption, but I don't think it's there yet. Not, not in this film. I mean, uh, you're going to see it again in Iron Man 2. His arrogance leads him time and time and time again into pain. And I I will disagree with you. Uh, the drinking on the plane is not technically of, uh, the act of a fool. I mean... We're taking off and we've got to fly halfway around the world. True. We're getting drunk there. There's
0: enough time to sober up.
1: <laughs> There's plenty of time to get past it.
0: Getting drunk, of course, is
1: being a fool. Yes. We just
0: want to clarify that here on the podcast. But yes. drinking is not foolish. Jesus Christ drank Jesus Christ's first miracle is bringing wine. He is ready for celebration. But please be responsible. Continue, yes. Caleb. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course. I, I would say that, you know, The content issues of him seducing and bedding a reporter, however, uh, vaguely uh, shown on screen. There's no explicit set sats, just implied and danced around uh, partial uh, skin exposures. That that is the act of a fool.
0: Yeah, and and wasn't that such a surprise? I mean, like I like I said, this was a rewatch, and I was like. Oh my oh my goodness. <laughs> I thought the sh- I remembered the jumping like the the two characters jump on the bed. That's as much as I'll detail. And like but it was a lot longer than I remember. And like almost like I would have even argue like aggressive than I remembered and it was just like man like I've seen uh, uh, regrettably. I have seen other movies where there is like brief nudity that are far brief like far shorter and far less provocative. Than I was than than this was, and that was like that was a total surprise to me. Especially when this movie is kind of trying. First off, it's trying to reach for everybody. Adults can enjoy it. Kids can enjoy it. Like there is a, there are gags throughout the entire middle of the movie that just like are perfect for children. Don't really hit it off for adults. For at least for me. But like that's just after the first twenty minutes where like Tony Stark is like you said betting a, a, not somebody who's his wife, and then like getting drunk on a plane while air hostess are dancing what well
1: i mean i i expected it i i it is hollywood and we are talking about a character who is a well-known and legendary playboy i mean i i personally would not have included it but i thought that it set up his personal uh arrogance and self-assuredness of well yes i mean it's me i can do whatever i want right very well which you know plays up uh, plays into the rest of the film Hmm. i I do not like the content and i will say it's a whole lot less in the film than what was originally actually filmed i when i was younger i had a dvd of the uh, iron man film and i love watching you know, Delia scenes outtakes, stuff like that because it helps build the, the vision of what might have been, but perhaps was, you know, there's too much filmed to put in a two hour film. And so I hit, you know, pull up the Delia scenes hit play. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's far worse. Your scene with the uh, dancing air hostesses that you uh, said it's a lot longer in the Delia scenes. There's several other Delia scenes of. Should so we say content related activities or sensual sensuality that was deleted wow so it could have been a whole lot worse i mean honestly for a film that defined a genre we should be grateful that there's as little content as there was yeah yeah if you skip that if you skip that 30 seconds and is i think it's less than 30 seconds i did not time it uh, so I don't don't know, but
0: it's probably a combined like 15, 20 seconds between the two scenes. But this mm-hmm. is also like this is one of the biggest things in Total Confusion to me where it was just like, I don't even first off, I wouldn't be comfortable with the way they depicted this in an, in an adult movie, mostly because of male gaze. Like the real problem is when you're depicting bad and evil things that are sexual, especially about women in a very male gazey way. So not only is something horrible on screen happening, the camera is getting right in there. So it shows you the, so to speak, goods when in reality, it's like, I don't, I don't need to see that to know one, that this is bad and two, like what's happening. There are plenty of movies that don't do that. Taxi driver is not <laughs> take a shot. Every time you listen to a film podcast, someone mentions taxi driver taxi driver is not perfect. There are, there are scenes that can be really inappropriate in that sense. However, there is a particular subplot that you know exactly that this one particular character is a, is a lady of the night, so to speak, but you don't really get anything aggressive or male gazey or anything about that. And like, how is it that that film can have that restraint? And it's a much more adult and much more mature, I would argue mature film. And in Iron Man, a film where, you know, children are going to be coming in. Like, I don't think Martin Scorsese was ever like, yeah, a child's going to watch Taxi Driver. <laughs> like, no, just, an adult's going to see Taxi Driver, but a child is going to come in and see Iron Man. And you're going to do what they did in that. I was like, what the heck, man? <laughs>
1: Well, I, I do th- I think we need to be aware that I don't think this was created – Iron Man was not created as a children's film. Fair. That's true. It is PG-13. Well, at, at the time, the only people who were really you know, familiar with Iron Man in, in a sort of nostalgia way were, were people who grew up on the comics, who had an understanding, however muted, of his Playboy lifestyle. So we, I don't think we can quite hold them to the same high high standard. I, I I would love if they had, but we do need to understand that this was not. I mean, nowadays you're like, oh yes, my kids they want to watch superhero films. It's a Marvel film. It's probably going to be okay, because in general, after Iron Man one, you lose a whole lot of that uh, included sensuality. I I really struggle to find uh, to remember a sequence as problematic as this one
0: so i did just watch incredible hulk and there is one scene that is it's laughably bad and 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 it is actually funny my wife and i laughed even though it is uh, sensual and inappropriate and i thought it was worse than this one but there are i feel like it's pre-disney that these scenes are much more abrasive now that's not to say when disney got them that it chills out i think age of ultron was definitely after the disney acquisition and age of ultron has some jokes in it that are like holy cow how did that get in there i i wrote down those down actually in regards to like how the tonal confusion continues to the franchise and there's these there's a the joke which pardon my french is tony stark saying hide the cucumber about hulk and then another one that was him making a joke about prima nocta which literally nobody is comfortable with so like how did that even get through the door
1: well, I mean, uh, th- there's still the inappropriate jokes and stuff like that, but you don't see as much visual
0: Yes, Yes, you're absolutely right on that.
1: I could be wrong, but even in The Incredible Hulk, if uh, I'm thinking of the same scene that you are, it was at least mostly clothed. Mostly clothed, but pretty touchy. Yeah.
0: Pretty touchy. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, and the, the, there was a lot more skin, a, a lot more sensuality, I thought, in this one compare, comparatively it's it's almost like following this that they backed off the visual and you know i i miss the days of the old black and white television and movies where you knew things were going wrong you knew that they were doing indecent in there but they didn't show it you'd be amazed at what sort of messages you can get across with a artfully timed cut to curtains or a walk on the beach without you can, you can tell a story that says oh They're they're being personal in there without actually showing things.
0: Yeah. Just like real life. (laughs) Just like real life. (laughs) Sock on the door. All right. I get it. Parents are having a good time. I'll move on. Like, Curt- curtains blowing in the if,
1: wind. <laughs>
0: yeah. By the way, if you please send me an email if you have ever been at home and your parents put a sock on the door because that would be the the that'd be so stupid. I can't believe it. I'm going to take this out. Maybe I'm going to keep it in. But it's just so stupid that I just said
1: that. I mean, it works for the college students.
0: There are ways to depict it. I mean, uh, Titanic, oh, of course, doesn't get away oh. with it entirely. You could say the TV version of Titanic does, but a hand on a steamy car door. I get it. I know what's happening in there and move on to the next scene, please. Thank you. Check, please. Like, goodness gracious. But yeah, it's, it's so interesting, isn't it? Like going back to this movie and just thinking of the two of us as much more mature people. Cause when I was a kid, I didn't care about those scenes at all, but now I'm like 10 years later and I'm like, that was a surprise. Whoa. Okay.
1: It, it really frustrates me when a movie or a book includes anything that does not advance the story and is ultimately pointless tom clancy was a prime example of this basically all of his books have about half a page of content half a page in 400 something you know, tightly spaced single spaced uh small text pages mm-hmm. it, it's almost like his uh, publisher was saying hey mr clancy you know we just got your 500 page long manuscript for your next hit hit novel <laughs> you know you gotta include the set scene set cells you know you like fine here's uh, two paragraphs for page 427 can we move on now thanks ultimately speaking the inclusion of this content you know it, it didn't advance the story anyway it you know it set himself up as a playboy but there's so many better ways he could have done that without dealing in in sensuality and skin.
0: Going into our our last topic, which I'm amazed that we have time for, because two things. One, we've been having a really good discussion, Caleb. I just want to let you know that. (laughs) I have really enjoyed it. And I hope, listener, that you are enjoying it as much as I am. And second, it's just making time fly. I'm looking at the clock here, which maybe the editing will be, will cut it down. But for me, we've been recording for an hour now. And I'm like, where did the time go? <laughs> like, this is crazy.
1: And we've covered a lot. And I feel like we could keep talking more. But I don't know if we... <laughs> you I don't know, know how, <laughs> how. I don't know how mm, succinct <laughs> uh, said discussion would be. It would probably end up discussing in circles again.
0: <laughs> to, to really close this off, I actually want to ask a question that I wonder if... I wonder if some people have felt this and I know as somebody who watches movies all the time and is more than comfortable watching a movie once and done because some people really like to rewatch. Actually, I think it's more typical for people to do once and done, but I digress. Iron Man. has his entertainment, historical. I don't know how to describe it. What's the term for that? Historical entertainment.
1: I don't know. It (laughs) is. It's a landmark film. Yes. Perfect. It's, It's set. It's set up the world. I mean, here in the modern age, Iron Man defined what it meant to be a a superhero. Yes, I know I'm completely disregarding the 97 different versions of Batman, <laughs> but in the modern mind, Batman is a completely different genre. Yes, yeah, actually, that's so true. In the modern mind of of the superhero—you've got you, know, Captain America, and Iron Man, and the Avengers, and the Guardians of Galaxy—it all started here. And oh my goodness, it is such a treasure of you know hints at future world building that i mean agent colson goes on to become a massive part of uh, of the mcu whether here in the movies or in uh, the agents of shield television show there's so many little pieces that go on to be be greater i mean look at roadie right at the end of the film looking over at the old iron man suit and going next time
0: and never and the actor never coming back <laughs> that's one of my favorite like outside jokes is that we that don't he says don't next time about, baby
1: that he never comes back talk about that <laughs> i mean he, he went on a diet and got a whole lot thinner yes uh,
0: well i i love that you said that with so much zeal talking about its landmark value and the fact that it's world building because my question is is particularly interesting i we we've, we've talked about it's it's a it's what makes it so fun we've talked about what also makes it per, perhaps maybe not so good i think we almost spoke at length more about what's not so good but we do recognize that it's it's a very good movie a very temple movie but when i think about iron man and then i think about other movies that i love so let's let's think recently into 2019 i loved waves i loved the last black man in san francisco I can't decide which one's my number one movie, but in my apartment I have a poster hanging up of Last Black Man in San Francisco, so maybe that gives it away. Of course, I've seen Waves more times, so you put those on the scale, figure that one out for me. But those are two movies that have also about less than 30 seconds of content. That is that is inappropriate. And yet, I'm more inclined to watch those movies again than I am Iron Man, almost entirely because of what they offer in regards to, like, maturity their message i mean waves is a film about that is very intently about forgiveness and how hard that can be and i feel that it depicts it in such a way that is just like it is raw it is real it is rough and it will tug at your heartstrings and make you start thinking about who you need to be forgiving and then also maybe who you need to be forgiven by And then even The Last Black Man is very much about community and belonging and about friendship and about intimacy. And it is just so good. Such a great depiction of like, do you belong in a home or do you belong with people? But both films have about less than 30 seconds of content that not only what I say makes me feel uncomfortable, but in the case of the last black man features nudity and that's really bad like i it is not good for me to see the, the nakedness of somebody else other than my wife but the point being is iron man isn't to the degree of midsummer or blue valentine where the content is so abrasive uh the sexual content is so abrasive that it doesn't matter that the message of those films can be good it's just completely bottled down by the content but i don't know if iron man to me personally is good enough or enjoyable enough or offers enough as waves or the last black man in San Francisco. Now, I'm I'm a very particular kind of person. So, you might not agree with me, but what do you think about that with with what Iron Man offers in regards to the start of not only Iron Man Tony Stark's redemption arc but the entirety of the MCU and yet the first act of this movie has like some of the most annoying and baseless depictions of playboy culture and hookup culture. What do you think about
1: that, Caleb? You you have a, a lot there to unpack, which I'm actually going to try and uh, address in two, uh, two stages. First, let's see what the content, because that's, I, I think, a fairly easy one to handle comparatively. And all told, it's 30 seconds that honestly I've seen worse in teen dramas in the first five minutes of stranger things you see somebody get eaten by a monster on screen and falling body parts
0: <laughs> you right. see a
1: kid get you see a kid get kidnapped by a monster and you and you see a make-out scene in a bathroom between a group of teens all uh, undercut with a dozen something f-bombs and uh, and s-words by these 12 and 13 year olds There's, I would argue that that content is arguably worse than what we saw here. I feel like you're almost more bothered by it here because you look on uh, back at this as a teen, uh, a, a kids movie, when it's it's the landmark film that defined a superhero movie. And I would, I would definitely agree that the content is bad, but is it is it worse than? All the other instances, I you look at the sort of stuff that's being shown on television. I mean, NCIS at one point, uh, well, NCIS at regular points, or Burn Notice, Burn Notice, uh, the spy thriller set in Miami. There are shall I say grotesque depictions of uh, people in bikinis. Every single jump cut, time skip, It's like, oh, you're, you're traveling. Bikini shots on uh, on the beach compared to Burn Notice, this is fairly tame. I mean, he worked above a strip club or lived above a strip club and uh, and there's bikini shots every uh, every time there was a transition. If we look at from a, oh, this is the kid's superhero movie. Yeah, it's jarring and horrible and oh my goodness, how dare they include this? But if you look at from a position of, you know the the first in a series of genre defying film uh, sorry genre defining films and it's like okay yes content warning but it's not as jarring if that makes any sense
0: it does and i think something i was just thinking of and i, and I know you have another thought but this this was you just made me think of something really interesting i'm arguing from the position of demographic. That perhaps because this film, even though it is PG-13, the rating doesn't necessarily always mean demographic. I mean, people made Iron Man because they also wanted to sell toys. And you know who has toys? Kids, not teenagers. Uh, Teenagers have toys. That's fair.
1: Have (laughs) you ever been to a Comic-Con? Just saying.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough largely though the sales unless you're buying like collectible figures mm-hmm. so like the $60 stand-ups or whatever I mean I've done that before I don't I don't really uh, enjoy collecting much anymore I think if if Daniel and I ever do an episode on uncut gems we'll have plenty to talk about the morality of collections during the the current age we live in but I digress I'm talking from demographic and I find that because of the the film's content because of the demographic it it's going for I find it really quite questionable sort of like when i don't know if any, anybody listening has seen the first angry birds movie purely a kids film and some of the jokes are way too suggestive and you're arguing from a position of comparison which is fair because i think when you're coming from the uh, position of like there's worse stuff out there i think you're functionally right there is well, worse I'm stuff not, out
1: there i'm not arguing from a position of worse uh, of, you know compared to the, wor- you know, the all the other worse stuff it, this is tame more from a position of the demographic has changed
0: Hmm, interesting
1: that 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 yes there was this understanding of super super superheroes and hasbro selling iron man toys but the original demographic was the comic book nerd true i mean i would be a whole lot more disturbed by the angry birds movie uh, inclusions uh, and things, things like that, where it's definitively a child's movie with really kind of over the top, you know, jokes and such. That this this was not a, this was not meant for a G audience. It just happened to be fairly clean. But it, and this was originally PG thirteen, aimed at comic book nerds who knew Iron Man and you know loved the character. Under no circumstances am I trying to to say that this is acceptable content-wise. Of
0: course. I don't think you are. I don't think that at all. But oh,
1: I just wanted to make it clear. I, but I also think that the fact of its content is not as earth-shattering sure. as, as, as it might seem to you. Because it is, in, at least in my eyes, aimed for the same people who... Uh, it was originally aimed for the same people who watch by uh, you know, on television show mm-hmm. or who, or who watched stranger things.
0: And even talking comparison sake, uh, I know you're not particularly comparison, uh, but well, I guess you are. I, I don't know, <laughs> but like the, the, there is, there is reality to the fact that despite the fact that these things are depicted, I do think they are depicted maybe not in total respect, but, I think kissing is okay in a movie and I even think I don't know if I would say like incredibly passionate making out is is appropriate I think that can be a little questionable but sensuality I think can be translated into film that's a bit different than what I said a couple minutes ago but I do think that it's possible without being exploitative pro- potentially provocative although I do think extremes in reality should be provocative things like things like sex should be provocative things like violence should be provocative i should not be totally unfazed if i see somebody get punched i should find that either repulsive or if it's wwe kind of exciting but (laughs) but setting and setting does matter i think that's a big thing too but yeah i think like what's interesting is that we talked about demographic and that perhaps we're more comfortable if, if like like for instance I mentioned in Waves and The Last Black Man in San Francisco, being more adult films, they aren't for kids. And so the content in them is not for kids. It may be something that as a learning tool, you could introduce to a, uh, you could gauge is appropriate for your teenager or something. And and I think even as I start talking out loud, perhaps my slant is less so much the fear of demographic, but more of the value of a message. However, there is something that I'm starting to notice we we both didn't bring up. I don't think either of us has really overtly con- said context of the Bible, and I I did not prepare for this thought because I only just got it now while we're recording and we're even closing in on the end of our episode. So perhaps as people listen to our continued divulging on cinematic doctrine through the cine- through the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we'll we'll hear this throughout. But thinking about. Iron Man, thinking about the content that's in it, thinking about even the fact that although briefly it still does passively say from Pepper Potts' perspective, you know, Tony Stark, I, it's it's not for me that you sleep with everybody, but I'm not criticizing your life, which
1: <laughs> really moral relativism. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. It's complete moral relativism. But the Bible would say, like, Tony Stark, your life, uh, play your playboy life is wrong. Tony Stark, you really do need to think about the fact that you're like producing weapons and not knowing where they go. You do need to think about the fact that you may be accountable for certain things. I mean, go back to the law in, in the Old Testament, and you see that there are even laws against accidents. If you commit an accident, you still owe somebody something. And so, Let's just think about the fact that his weapons being sold without his knowledge to somebody that he doesn't know. You could say that's an accident. The idea that he might've hired someone on without knowing something that's accidental, but he still is responsible for that. Absolutely responsible for that because it is even, I agree with your assessment that a lot of this film is Tony Stark's arrogance. In fact, his whole character is arrogance, comedic arrogance at times and irritating arrogance. But, it is his company and he does need to own up to what he's doing. So coming from like a biblical stance, I think I I think if somebody goes through everything that I've said, I'm coming from like two positions. I'm at this point where like, yeah, I think maybe it is a pretty good image of going through like the value of responsibility and the, the continued arc of redemption from his arrogance. But also I'm like, yeah, but the beginning, when you think about its demographic, it, it's pretty irresponsible with how it depicts his playboy culture. So, so yeah. Caleb, I'm not really sure where to land on this anymore.
1: <laughs> well, I, in a lot of ways, that's what it means to be a movie critic. To put, uh, you know, put out your thoughts. To say, you know, here's what I thought. Here's some you know ways that you might want to look at this. But everybody's going to have a different perspective. I, and Which actually ties perfectly back into what you were saying about, you know, is... You know, is there more to this film? I mean, you you, you like waves. You liked the the last man in uh, last black man in San Francisco. Honestly, I have got no clue about those films. I w- I have never even heard of them. <laughs> but I, I looked at this, and, and I see so much in this, which is a value for the casual person, because honestly, you are a cinephile of great uh, magnitude. You like the the raw and the you know, intense discussions that I, mean, I'm willing to bet you've probably watched uh, clockwork orange.
0: I've read it. I have not watched it purely because of what's in the movie and because of what's in the book.
1: <laughs> okay. You've, uh, but that's a but good you, guess. You've you read the book. I, I almost <laughs> at have. Least.
0: Technically I've owned it. I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I, I have, I did buy it. And then when like, I read the book, I was like, I'm not going to watch that
1: movie. So I threw it out. <laughs> but the point is you, you, you liked the, 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 the heady movies Mm, yes the vast majority of people have no idea on where to get into that and or they pick up the movie and it's just like there's it's just blinding Mm -hmm. i i I remember watching a couple years ago night train to lisbon and that's another film that there's a lot to unpack and you have to get really philosophical about it to get any to get the value from it iron man here is a simple story if you break it down to the nitty-gritty bits, it goes back to that formula that is sets up for all of Marvel, of the charismatic lead with issues, who is, is trying to do something better. But, you know, this this character is a hero, to uh, both in role and in many his eyes. There, you've see, all seen the discussion, Iron Man or Captain America. I'm Team Iron Man, I'm Team Captain America superhero movies have a peculiar honor and a peculiar place of providing us answers to questions that we may not have the knowledge to face ourselves. We look at you know these different moral conundrums and ask ourselves, you know, what do I do? And, you know, that, that scene pops up uh, in your head, you know, what did Iron Man do? uh, when faced with all this what did he do and you know you you see this in time and time again in the popular films that last you see the heroes that present a moral question and a hopefully moral response that can be followed and you know I, i call back to the old roy rogers films the cowboy films where it was the same exact thing every time with the you know, the cow hand who saves the heiress or the owner and uh, uh, causes uh, the good to happen because of their moral upstanding character. But that genre defined uh, several generations of people looking back to say, you know, oh, you know, I've seen how Roy Rogers did it. I mean, there's a country music song by Toby Keith, where he talks about being a, a cowboy, just like Gene and Roy, Gene Autry, Roy Rogers. And here it's you know, many decades later, decades after they've all been dead and buried and gone. And superheroes, they, it's a real world situation where, you know, you recognize New York City, you recognize the the languages, you Here the callbacks to Afghanistan or Russia or what have you. And they speak your language. But they are just fantastic enough that, you know, it's not, not, you know, Joe Schmo driving a taxi. This is Captain America asking a question and answering. I I love the uh, Spider-Man. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. It makes so much more impact because it's not... You know Pepper saying that uh, to a CEO of a business, but it's Uncle Ben saying that to Spider-Man, who has all this power that you've just seen, and he says, "You have to use that power." Or when Tony Stark says, "You know, I, I you know, I have to. You know, this is my responsibility. I have to do this." Or Captain America, you, know, you're, you're not the one to make the sacrifice play. To lay down the barbed wire, are you? The these fantastic heroes present you with answers that you can use and respond to. That so many people have you know ingrained and learned because of their love of the hero, but it provides, well, mostly <laughs> uh, <laughs> with uh, the disclaimer of Hollywood, mostly moral responses that uh, then shape. The rest of the world and i'm i'm not saying where but at some point there's a captain america quote in the comics uh, that i think is also in movies that, where it says you know your job is not to you know waft in the wind essentially but to plant yourself beside the river of truth and say no you move you know that that's something that's so lost in today's world the concept of there being an, an undying unyielding truth and saying no you need to stand by that truth how many people have heard that message and said oh wait you know captain America was right you know if if it's true i need to stand by it and that that's where we this film starts you know creating that that you know if it's your fault that, it, that your arrogance has let Let something dangerous happen. It's your responsibility to clean up. That, you know, it's your job to protect, to defend uh, people in in less danger. There's so many little elements like that, which are, you know, they start off here and just get built upon.
0: When you were saying that, it really reminded me of like when you go back into the... um epistles and paul is like follow me insofar as i follow christ really is what he's saying like use me as a role model if you need it to and and always cross-reference what i'm doing with what scripture says and what the bible says and and what god wants and that's like you can still kind of do that with like heroes because god's common grace is affecting these people who make movies You got to always remember we can always be worse than we are. And the world can always be worse than it is. But the Lord has common grace and restrains everybody. And sometimes that restraint is presented through truth. And sometimes that truth sneaks through and, it, it, and it's in your movies, it's in your art, it's in your work, it's in your work ethic, it's in your speech, it's in your language. That's why you can read poetry by people who don't know the Lord and it can just hit you. Mm-hmm. It can just feel And you're like, man, that's truth if I ever heard it. But what's fascinating is in the world, that's always pointing towards, yeah, but there's something better. There is a truth that is so much more real, so much more valuable. You were talking about this idea, this line of find truth, stand there. And when someone opposes it, you say, no, you move. And it's like, if you don't have the truth of the gospel I mean, what truth is there? We talked about Ecclesiastes and that everything is meaningless. You know why? Because everybody dies, man. And when you die, that stuff that you have is going on to someone else, and you don't know if that person's going to respect it, care about it, or anything. I mean, that is wild to think about that all things are meaningless apart from God. And that's where, like, the ultimate truth. So, for us, for you and me, Caleb, as we're making podcasts that we're seeking to interpret and understand this culture, we're having to follow. Paul, insofar as he's like Christ, going to the Areopagus and talking to people and saying, this is what your culture says. And right now, the general audience really likes Marvel movies and really likes superhero movies. So we're going, here's what these heroes are saying. And guess what? Sometimes they don't always get it right. Tony Stark lived a life like a playboy. That's not good. We got to talk about how this isn't like
1: that. But sometimes, but sometimes they do good. Sometimes, sometimes there's so much truth there that it it doesn't, they don't know where it's from.
0: Exactly. Just like, I mean, that's literally the Areopagus. I mean, that's like, man. Okay. I'm just first going to say this, everybody, before we started recording, we were literally talking about this and now we're full swing doing it anyway. So this yeah. is great. But like, like literally Paul is out there like you guys, it's great that you're all religious, but guess what? You don't have the right religion. You got an unknown god statue because you don't even know who that is. Well, let me tell you who it is. It's Jesus Christ. It's God the Father. It's the Holy Spirit. And like that's that's great. Man, I'm so glad we were able to put that in here. <laughs> well,
1: it's just like Lewis said, all good stories have elements of the great story that it may not be, you know, the the truth, the the great source of the Bible. But it is so universal that it points back to it even unconsciously that there there's a limit to the uh, you know the use of arrogance or something and it, it, all these little pieces that the heroes tell so well it points back to the greater truth that we can provide that we can comfort people with in the time of struggle say you know you don't know how to handle this for example you've done wrong you don't know what to do Uh, I, i look to the psalms and create in me a clean heart O lord and renew a right spirit within me just like you know the superheroes have these little pieces of truth that point you back to where to find the full truth
0: Man, this was great. I think we pretty much touched on virtually everything we were going for. I know one of the things that you... uh First off, I'm probably going to have you back on the podcast. So anything we didn't cover now, we're going to cover again. Uh Or we're going to try and cover it's, it.
1: It's been a conversation. Yes,
0: it has. It has surely been a conversation. I can't wait to edit this because I get to hear it again.
1: I just hope you take out some of the uh clutter on my end.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and even me. Some, I mean, I like to a uh, fellow listener because i'm not going to plagiarize you again lagoon sharp uh, i script out like mad because i am tangential like nobody knows i mean everybody knows if you've listened <laughs> to my podcast everybody knows it and meanwhile but i'm like, like i did a pretty good job. point <laughs> uh, yes i've got yeah, one line of,
1: of question let's talk about it
0: <laughs> yeah caleb over here was like i i gave him the show notes i type out everything that i have for myself and he's like, "Oh my goodness, there's nine pages here." <laughs> I'm like, "I'm sorry, it's just because I'm a mess. I'm an emotional and and, and, and mental mess. This <laughs> is crazy." But man, yeah, I I love this. I love rewatching this movie, even if like nobody might believe that in the first 20 minutes of this review. I just I I had such a good time here. Tell tell the listener where they can get plugged in with you
1: because they got to know where you're at. Well, you can find me on Facebook and. I am the Polymath Roundtable, or you can find me uh, at my website, polymathroundtable.com. I'm on Pod uh, sorry, pod Chaser at Podchaser slash uh, The Polymath Roundtable. You can find me on Spotify, you know, Doodle, and Apple Podcasts, basically everywhere. I, I'm working my way up, trying to get as big as cinemat doctrine here. <laughs> One day I have dreams. Maybe I'll even pass You're too kind. the Master. <laughs>
0: It's funny to, to to that you consider us big.
1: <laughs> I'm going to say this. I'm, not, I'm rather proud of it. I, cute. for the first time, crossed 50 listens on an episode this past Dude, you know, two weeks. That's great. What? Which one was it? Onward, actually. I oh, I put that one that's awesome. up and uh, shared it a few places. And I think so far, like 56 listens is like nearly twice any other episode. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs>
0: God bless. That is the coolest thing. Oh, that's awesome. I I still remember, uh, and I and I'm still talking with this guy. This one guy sent me an email and he's like, hey, I listen to your podcast. And I'm like, hey, we're going to be best friends now. <laughs> it's just like, it's so cool. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I, I really hope that I'm able to bless you with with uh, with having you on this podcast. I, I, I know you've it's blessed been a blast. me with and, I'm... And, and it's been so good. I hope, I hope all, all of you listeners right now, you got to go listen to his podcast. Do it you gotta
1: <laughs> if you want something you know a short and sweet to uh take a look at something before you uh show it to the family my my episodes are usually 20 25 minutes long and i do my best to give a unspoiler review in the first five or six minutes so that if if you're in a hurry you can you know, listen quickly and say oh okay i got it but i, I i'm grateful for the option to be on here it's been a blast. Hope I'll uh, be back someday. <laughs> All right, I'll have to see if uh, if I can uh, handle the deep discussion for some of those <laughs> intense films that you like.
0: Oh, we'll get you there. It'll be great. Maybe we'll have you back for an MCU one, or maybe I'll just dig through my closet and pick out an art house film. <laughs> we'll hey, see.
1: Uh, I still want to do uh, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty with you. That thing's.
0: That's right. You did recommend that. We, we should
1: definitely do. Beautiful. That.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Cinematic Doctrine, and thanks so much to Caleb Young for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Check out his podcast, The Polymath Roundtable, and listen to Father Polymath as he looks at all kinds of media, from movies, books, and video games through a Christian lens, and really gets down to the brass tacks of what you're engaging, all in a bite-sized runtime. Now if you've seen Iron Man, what did you think of it? Does the film hold up, or is the scale too small when compared to the later offerings of the MCU? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let us know in the comments below, or shoot us an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review for the podcast on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Unlike YouTube or Reddit, there isn't really a way to let us know how we're doing with a thumbs up or thumbs down, so the best way to leave your thoughts on the podcast is to write a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or wherever you listen. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss or review on the podcast. You also gain access to the SinDoc pre-show, the upcoming Patreon-exclusive podcast series, where my co-host Daniel and I casually talk movies, Christianity, and life itself. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check them out at patreon.com forward slash Cinematic Doctrine. A special shout-out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, and Melanie. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks, too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk, so get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.